So may you please open up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, and we'll be starting at verse 8. Proverbs 1, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head, and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive, and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot amongst us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They sit in ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Let's pray. Father, may we hear your instruction and may we not forsake your teaching. May you adorn us this morning with these truths from your word. And may we leave here this morning to bring you glory. Amen. Can you fathom 300 years ago? No cars, no electricity. If you live in a more modern house, most likely the wood it's made out of wasn't even a tree yet. 300 years ago. How about 3,000 years ago? This is the period in which this text comes from. So 3,000 years ago, This is an insight into wisdom literature. So, this glimpse, this old text, we're going to see its timelessness. And God's message this morning will reach out and will arrest you with this wisdom and instruction. So in our text, I'd like to point out that there are five characters And this morning, you're going to identify with at least one of them. In verse 8, we have a father, a mother, and a child. And these three characters, they lack names. It's a story. But we're told who they are positionally. We're assuming it's a normal parenting norm. We have a, a father and a mother and instructing their son. The son representing sons and daughters. Here and do not forsake this instruction and teaching. Instruction and teaching. Being like accolades and adornings. So, this instruction and teaching coming from these parents is here described like physical decorations, like a necklace and a crown. Things are better to celebrate and frame the head of the one wearing them. 
Because the book of Proverbs places value on adorning one's character rather than one's physical body. Contrast that with Proverbs 11.22. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Physical beauty is, it's fine. If you have physical decorations, adorning your beauty, you get a pass this morning. But you don't dress up a pig. If you dress up a pig, it defiles the decorations you place upon it. So, if the internal is ugly, it doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. Folly and toxic behavior is repulsive to God and to man. So the wisdom here being spoken of is that can never be stolen or lost. It doesn't wither away with age. It is an internal attractiveness that will be self-evident. It's much like that in 1 Peter 3. Peter tells woman, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So our text is saying, if you listen and apply this instruction of wisdom, you will be adorned, clothed in a practical righteousness. There will be a supernatural glory in your life when you're clothed with this teaching. So, young people, listen up. It's addressed to my son. And for good measure, everyone else listen up too. Hear and do not forsake what will follow. Verse 10. We get introduced to the fourth character, the sinner. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. The father, in this monologue, addresses his son the second time and alerts the son of the possibility of being enticed by the sinner. The father paints a picture of what would seem to be some sort of gang. Ruthless and violent, consumed by greed. And this description starts off by pointing out that they're waiting for blood. Seeking to kill someone, plotting an ambush. And to make this scenario worse, they seek to kill someone without reason. Violence for the sake of violence. No good reason at all. But simply for the pleasure you may get of harming and killing another person. Thankfully, this practice has vanished in our day. Not something we need to worry about or worry about for our children. Right? As if bullies have disappeared. As if we aren't alerted by this in the news headlines by cruel and violent people that pop up seemingly out of nowhere. 
I would even point to popular entertainment. The love of gore and violence. We see it in movies, we see it in sport, we see it in video games. It hasn't vanished. It still happens. And in ways, this blood has spilled over into other mediums. To the point that we enjoy hypothetical and fictional brutal murder. So, people pay the entertainment industry, communicating to them, sell us more of this, make it darker, shock us. So, this old passage may be more relevant than we think. Verse 13, the father shifts from more of a wanton behavior to that of violent robbery and plundering. The sinners in the text seek to communicate that if someone were to join them, they would all materially gain. The idea of filling one's house with precious goods. That's great, right? You don't want to fill your house with precious goods? Well, if you join these guys, they present some sort of communist economy. Come with us. What we have is yours. And what we steal, we will share. They're so generous. They're like Robin Hood. The scary thing about that is I've talked to many people out in public. When I approach them with God's law, I say, it's wrong to steal. God says, do not steal. Have you done this? Yeah, but it's okay. I don't steal from... From some people, only from others, like rich people. Sorry? Well, it's okay to steal from rich people because they have more than I do. Like one guy the other day, just a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to him about it and he goes, well, it's okay to steal from the supermarket because they overcharge and they're rich. Can you see that this is a complete misinterpretation of the idea of Robin Hood? In the story of Robin Hood, the rob goes to the king who's stealing money off his people. And Robin goes and takes some of that money and distributes it back to the poor, as the king should have been doing. But people in our day think that the idea of Robin Hood is great. He's just going to steal anything, as long as they have more than you do. Verse 15 is the third address to the son. And here we're introduced to a major theme in the whole book of Proverbs. Walking. And paths. And the way. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. You see, you, like the parents and the son and the sinner in this section, are all on a path. You're walking through life. As a Christian, like a pilgrim on a journey, you're set on a trajectory where every passing day, every decision, every step, and second progressed, leaves history behind you. It's like you're walking through the pages of a blank book. Every footstep leaves ink on those pages behind you. You're moving closer 
to the end of this path. The father and the mother here instruct the son not to journey on the path with, with which these people lurk. We see this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus instructs, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So we have a path. But Jesus here introduces the idea of the gate. The end of the path. The destination to the pilgrimage. You have a wide, easy path that leads to a gate of destruction. And a narrow path that leads to a narrow gate. That in John 10.9 says, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So that's the path, that's the gate. Jesus is the objective to this. But for the son, he's just embarking on this path. He's not at the gate yet. So the father continues to instruct him. The son now is given an image of futility, of trying to throw a net over a bird while that bird is watching you. If you don't get this example, here's some homework. I want you to go home, buy or make a net, Find a bird somewhere, and then try and throw said net on this bird. Next week, let me know if, if you do it and how it goes. You see, throwing a net on a bird is very tricky. If you've tried it, you know. It reminds me of when I used to live on the farm. We used to live in a really secluded area, and there was a gang of magpies that had taken residence around us, and they prohibited any other bird from from coming close to the area, and I didn't like that. So I got my rifle, and I poked it out my, my bedroom window. And I succeeded. So there was many more of them to, to dispose of, though. So in the coming days, this continued. But it got a lot harder each time. So to the point of, I would line them all up, and before I could squeeze the trigger, they would fly away. Didn't then next time, it'd be, I would open the window and they would fly. And they got to the point where, if just moving through the house, if I just saw one, they were flighty creatures. It was difficult with a rifle. But with a net, what a waste of time. This is vanity. But the interesting thing about this, this part here is the vanity of snaring. Is not that these villains don't succeed in ambushing people. They did succeed. And they still do. But their success is their undoing. Verse 18 tells us that they lie and wait for their own blood. The God who sees all things watches and waits as they devise clever plans. The righteous judge sees every angle of what they're going to do. They effectively set an ambush for their own lives. So, how much more futile is it to live a life of sin in the face of God's omniscience? He sees you. 
So, although this passage is taking the idea of one of the worst scenarios, that of a gang ambushing some unaware traveler, verse 18 expands it, expands the sin here from murder and theft to any greed for unjust gain. So this text gives us a chance to reflect. So I trust none of us here are ringing around people offering computer help or financial investments acquiring people's credit card numbers. And I hope none of us here are offering money at exorbitant interest rates. But are you completely honest in all your dealings? You see, the sinners in this text are an exaggeration. You don't need to be ruthlessly waiting, lurking along life's path to rob and kill. You can fit in with this gang quite easily. How about what you covet? Are you longing for others' houses, spouses, cars and careers? Do you covet other people's paychecks? Do you desire more than what God has given you? In good faith, I'll assume nobody here is physically murdering anyone. But in First John it says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. It also says, whoever does not love abides in death. How is your loving of others going? See, it's one thing to actively murder someone, but it's from the same heart that abhors and despises others. So are you pleased in wishing someone's downfall? How about enjoying violence? Watching others commit violence? Violence and entertainment. How about your theft? Failing to give God what he rightly deserves. Filling your life and path with vain and vile pleasure. Do you tolerate sin? And therefore robbing the God the glory that he deserves? On closer inspection, maybe you like me have more in common with these sinners in this text than we first thought. And because we are similar to these people, we must listen up. Because the greed for unjust gain takes the life of its possessor. It's much like the picture of the harlot in Revelation chapter 17. She rides this beast, gaining much, but then that beast turns around and devours her. Sin is a hard master. It promises you unity and shared profit, but it will kill you and then take all of it. There's a song by my epic. I love the way it's put in this song. It says, quick, tear your kingdom down. You've built it on another's field. He is a ruthless man. He'll let you build before he steals. You'll never know you weren't a king until your limbs are firmly fastened in their chains. You sin, you gain, but not for long and not to last. 
So, we now come to the fifth character in this narrative. We saw the father and the mother, them being further along in the path than the son, and they're instructing him to beware of the sinner and his vices that not only kills and captures other people, but is possibly going to capture the son. Verse 11 mentions the fifth character, the innocent. So for the sake of the story, the innocent person is the person that the sinner preys upon to kill and steal and destroy. The, the innocent gets blindsided along their merry way. They don't deserve to be sinned against. But this innocent person, I would suggest that there's a New Testament parallel. We have a plot here. But in the New Testament, there's the ultimate innocent son. So if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21.33. Matthew 21.33. Jesus speaking. Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, They will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. How's that for a parallel? You have a father, sinners, and an innocent son. You see, God the Father builds a world. He builds a holy nation. He appoints people to tend the fame and glory of his name. But those sinners sought the fruit that was forbidden to them. Much like the original father and mother. They then to proceed to maim and kill God's messengers. Until the fullness of time, God sends his son. And the son walks the path to that vineyard. Without swaying to the left or to the right. And the tenants see that son coming and set an ambush, and wait for his blood. You notice, in this parable, they threw him out. The alienation that Adam earned, placed on Jesus, crucified outside the city walls, outside his vineyard. Jesus then asked the question, when therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? The reply is quite fitting. He will put those wretches to a miserable death 
and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits of their seasons. So their greed for God's position, unjust gain, takes away the life of its possessor. Ask Adam. Ask Adam. The day you took of the fruit that was not yours, it took your life, didn't it? You know who you are in this story? You're partially child, being warned, being guided. But because of your natural proclivity, and the gravity of this world will expose you much like the sinner. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. And it says in Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And if it were not for Christ, you would continue to be the greedy and the dishonest and the murderer. But because of the work of that innocent son, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection... His claiming of that vineyard, you're forgiven and brought into it as a fellow son. So just as the parents in our text seek the good of their children, he sought the best for us, set us free, set us free to live a life, to walk that path, And may we as true children remember the words of Christ that parallel this text and fulfill them. Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So let's pray.